todo el mundo. Hello, I'm Nipper Reed. And I'm Phil Wolf. So, settle down, have a nice cup of tea, and enjoy the Venomous Exchange Radio Podcast. Crumpets, Nipper. I want the crumpets. Well, as you've been such an extraordinarily good boy... You want to start? You want me to start? You, me to start? you can start. Your, your voice is prettier. Uh, you start. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, myself, Mr. Phil Wolf, is joined tonight, as always, by the very beautiful Mr. Nipper Reed for the Venom Exchange Radio, episode number five. What's going on, Nipper? Yeah, I'm good, man. Not too bad at all. Very excited for tonight's guest because I've got shared loads of questions for him because we have very, very similar collections. And I think we know quite a lot of the same people, maybe people in Europe that we share friendships with. So uh, looking forward to it. Excellent. So without further ado, we would like to introduce Mr. Matt McDowell of Arboreal Obscurities. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, it hasn't, I haven't been on this show before, but it's good to be back with you, Phil on another show just talking Hell about yeah, this man. stuff again i love it you know nipper and i we compiled a list of people that we wanted to to go into and it's tough because you want to bring your friends in but then you also want to bring in the people that you've never had on before or have never been on before academics or field biologists or whatever and i was like man the fact that nipper is so boiga intense i gotta get mad on we gotta get mad on so, yeah, that sounds like my guy. Yeah, man. yeah 100%. 100%. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Arboreal Obscurities, you want to fill them in on what's going on? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, we are, when I say we, um, the company is run by myself and my girlfriend, Ali Matosian. And we uh, primarily focus on arboreal snakes and species that are a little bit more obscure and misunderstood or even overlooked or miseducated on. And we try to create more focus around properly educating those species, um, creating environments for them to thrive in captivity and further preserve those species. Um, it's a lot of a lot of rear-fanged venomous stuff. Uh, so for people that are listening that know what that is, it's lot, lots of boiga. And then we also do work pretty closely with scrub pythons and then a few other just weird little one-off species as well. Very cool, man. Very cool. So how do you how do you just decide one day I'm going to do Boiga or better yet, I'm going to do Arboreal Obscurities, literally? Um, I don't I was born a weirdo, I guess. I don't know. I, when <laughs> when I was coming into uh, like actually keeping snakes, you know how the, the hobby, especially these days, I came into it later. Um I was never really in a place in life where I got to keep reptiles growing up. I didn't, I had to like put myself around them. I didn't get to bring them home and just be around them. So I think once I finally had the freedom to really dive into the hobby for myself, I, it, it's like a kid in a candy store, right? You, you walk into a really nice reptile shop and you don't know where to start. And I think like most people, um, everybody starts going onto YouTube and trying to figure out what the best stuff to start with is. 
Uh, for me, I kind of grew up that kid that was trying to pick up everything in, in the wild because I couldn't have it at home. And so I wanted a little bit more of a challenge than the beginner species. I knew that I was willing to put the work into doing my own research and my own homework. Um, and I didn't need, you know, just someone telling me how to do it. So I did some looking around. I was working in a, a shop in Arizona and we got in some mangrove snakes. And I think from that point on, um, I've always called them like the Cadillac of colubrids. They just, they did something for me. Um, and yeah, ever since like everything. So mangroves from the very beginning were what got me. And then I got uh, some nigerceps, some black headed cat snakes and the bright red on them, I think really is what sold me. And then I haven't been able to let go of them since they're just really cool snakes. That's so, awesome. That is awesome. Um, forgive me, but is there a big following for Boiger in the States? It's, it's in the, in the UK and, and in Europe you couldn't give them away a few, you know, like 10 years ago, nobody was interested. And now there is such a movement. There's such, they're, they're so on trend. I mean, prices are, are going up and up and up, but there's such a, a community for them, which is excellent. I, I just wondered if it was the same in the States. Um, you know, it, it actually is. Uh, when I guess the reason I said I was like a weirdo when I picked them was because when when I got that first mangrove and those first blackheads, uh, nobody wanted them. I got them because they came into the shop. Nobody looked twice at them. They sat for a while. I was in charge of taking care of them. I loved them. And yeah, no, I like, I kind of picked them because nobody else wanted to work with them. And I was already fascinated by them. And that was probably four or five years ago. That was like, like you said, you couldn't give them away. They were a hundred bucks in a pet shop. And now there's a huge following for them, which I guess if you talk to certain people in the industry or the hobby, they will tell you that it's frustrating when you see that kind of explosion in popularity because everybody's kind of grabbing at them left and right. Um, I kind of see it the opposite. I, I am happy that it's had that increase. Um, I absolutely do not mind the everybody wanting to grab hold of them. I think that more people keeping them and working with them is only going to better the preservation of those animals. Um, but I think that the most important part now for people like yourself and myself and other guys who've been keeping them for a while is we need to start sharing the real, most accurate, proper education for these people who are bringing them home, you know, let them know the reality of, yeah, there's lots of videos that say this stuff's harmless. Um, and, people are different and species are different and they're, they're not harmless and there's, there's a lot to teach still. So I think that's the part that I'm excited about. Yeah, I completely get that. I completely get it. Now, sorry, Phil, I'm just going to go into geek out modes. Do it, baby. And do it. Yeah. You, you, you just sit in the corner and look at your other venomous stuff. Just look, um, look pretty. Love <laughs> so it. Come on. Go for it. So go for gold. So come on then. I just want to know, come, what are you keeping? Uh, right now we're keeping, Got nigerceps. If we just want to know species, um, Boyga nigerceps, let's, uh, Boyga let's, cynodon. Let's go through them one by one. So the nigerceps, yes, how are you finding? I breed, have you bred nigerceps? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, I've I bred uh, nigerceps. It's one of my favorite Boyga. I think it's really, really underrated. Mm -hmm. um, but as you said before, they're magnificent animals. You know, um, 
Where, you, where are yours from? Do you know which locality yours are? Um, yeah, mo most all of my stuff is Malaysian. There's a lot of yeah, variability in it. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if you've been familiar with um, this theory or not. I was talking with uh, Dan Maleri months back, and I had had some new Nigriceps come in that I wasn't quite sure if they had come in from like an Indonesian shipment or a Malaysian shipment. They were kind of just randomly fell in front of me. And so I had kind of went to pick his brain and he had told me, and I did not know this until more recently, but according to him, the Malaysian variety are where all of your variability comes from. Okay. And then in Indonesia, everything is a uniform, almost like deep blood red color, but it's your, according to him, your Malaysian stuff that is everything from like an olive green and grays to those brown reds to like cherry red. Yeah, I've, I've, and I think the head color is different as well. Yeah, think, definitely. You know, for the for, for the Indo ones, the head color is really, really distinct. Whereas yes, for some of yeah. the Malaysian ones, the head colors are maybe not quite as distinct. It can um, be kind of a green or kind of a blue, yeah. and not quite that yeah. rich black color. That's the, yeah, hundred percent. Um, Let me chime in real get... quick on the, on the locality stuff. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's they're coming from Southern Thai through Malaysia, Singapore. And then they skip Sumatra and they go straight to Java, or is there like it's all of Western Indo? It, so it, it's hard to say, right? So the reason that it's hard to say is because what the hobby wants is what a lot of these guys who are collecting for us are looking for. Um, so it could be a really nice red color, and most of what comes in is red. It's actually like tougher to find something that's that olive green or like gray kind of hue. Um, I, I personally think that it's a lot wider spread than we think that it is. Um, I used to think that it was just basically Javan um, and Malaysian stuff that was coming in and you weren't getting anything out of Indonesia. Uh, the last time I spoke with Dan as well, he was saying that it's been a while since really anything on the Nigriceps front has come out of actual like Indonesia. So I'm going to guess that anything we are getting is coming out of small Thailand ranges or Malaysia. But I, I don't know if I'm being perfectly honest. I don't do a lot of importing with them. Uh, more so just kind of find what I've been able to find in the States and then work with generations of those animals. Yeah, I, I, wish, I, think, I, I wish I knew more about that. Yeah, I, I think we, we all suffer as well, um, particularly, you know, it's like the green tree python syndrome. Certain localities carry more weight, so people will label them up as a locality where they may have been found somewhere completely different. You know. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I've always kind of thought that the people that you do see post that they have Indonesian stuff um, very well could have been collected in Malaysian ranges and then just shipped out of Indonesia because 100%. of, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, I, when I, I bred mine and I found the babies quite hard to get feeding. Did you have to experience that or? Um, I, so that's interesting that you say that because and, and I guess here's a, it, it could be a, another conversation that you and I could definitely have on the side. But um, for me, nigriceps have been the easiest species oh, wow. for me to work with. Um, I have, I have two, what do I have? I have two sitting beside me here and I have two sitting beside me um, to my left that are both from different clutches, but both from this year. And all four of them are eating full pinkies, frozen thawed off of tongs and have been since the first or second meal ever offered. 
So for whatever reason, mine have been very robust and easy to get started. It's been a blessing. Um, My Synodon have been actually what's tougher. I have Synodon that are very close to the year mark and are still, they take assist feed fed meals very, very easily, but they are still taking assist fed meals. So really weird how different the two have been. Okay. So you've got Synodon. Are they they from captive bread stock? Are they wild caught or? Um, No. So yes. And both. I have my main pair um, actually came from a buddy of mine named Aaron Solano in California. And they were a breeding pair of his that he had had for a while. And then I don't know why, for whatever reason, I had some, some stuff that he was interested in getting into and he decided to let them go to me. I've had them ever since. And those two were imports. Um, and they are Thailand, like cow sock range imports. And then we've got two others that came from, Oh, I'm going to completely forget where they came from, but they were captive bred animals. They're about close to four years old now. Uh, Jordan Russell produced them actually. And so, yeah, those were raised up. Another really underrated species. Everybody wants mangroves, but they, uh, I mean, they're huge. The, The color and pattern is just outstanding and they're really robust snakes. The adults once you're there, once if they're wild caught, once they're acclimatized, they seem to do really, really well. They they seem to be. I will say that Cynodon and Nigriceps, both of them, um, seem to be the easiest to acclimate if you are going to go with an imported adult yeah. specimen or even 100%. some of the smaller stuff. Hundred percent. So, what else have we got on the list? So we did Nigriceps. We got the Cynodon. Um, I just picked up a group of. Gemacincta, 100% head albinos. So that should be hopefully a cool future project. Very cool. And then we've got the Thai Cynodon. I also have some Bahol Philippine Cynodon. Wow. Uh, And then we've got some Melanota. We really struggle to get um, Filipino stuff in Europe. It's just, it's hard to come by. Now, um, the Philippines that I got actually came through Europe. They were from a Russian breeder, um, and then they were passed through Calubra, and they were sent to Germany, and then from Germany to Canada, and then from Canada to here. So it was was a process, but... Yeah, 100%. And first, this year was the first year I actually saw them for sale anywhere, because as you know, the Philippines, you can't get anything from the Philippines. No, unless I, you're I, you're zoo to zoo kind of. I did have. I should be careful what I say. I had some potential animals coming just before COVID. Unfortunately, uh, the person I was dealing with, I think, ended up getting arrested in the Philippines. So, oh uh, bummer. Yeah, clearly the permits that he said he had were uh, not legit. Not quite legal. <laughs> not quite legal. <laughs> That's I feel like that happens a bit. Yeah, 100%. But there's so and that's why we have divergences that are adults already, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. They are incredible. I don't know what the prices are like in the States for divergences. They are sinister in Europe. You know, it's crazy. They've, in the last couple of years, they've gone from about $2,500 to about $800, $900. Um, so they've reached an affordable affordable price but that's still mm-hmm. a lot of money for that's a captive a animal that trying, is going through a lot of stress before you get it yeah i'm trying to think what that is in sterling phil what's 900 dollars in sterling 
Stand by, yeah. I'll convert it. Okay. Um, just uh, in Europe, to get an adult diversions, you're not going to get one under £1,500, really. So, that's so it, probably... it's expensive. It's a, it's a used car. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So 1,500 pounds sterling is exactly today, $2,028. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they seem to be bred quite frequently and they seem to be quite a few available, but the prices just don't seem to be going down at all. And you know what I have the, for, for me personally, um, if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I understand they're the blue mangrove and they've got that pretty blue color to them. But if I'm going to spend the money on a species of Boyga that, that looks really, really cool, it's probably going to be one that I'm going to have a little more enjoyment interacting with or keeping. Um, that's one thing that I wanted to say at the beginning when we were talking about kind of like favorite species. Nothing against the Dendrophila complex, um, but you see a lot of mangroves that people bring home as pets and everyone's looking for mangroves. And I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but for me, that is probably the, the least fun um, and most difficult of all the boyga I've kept to actually interact with, take care of. hundred percent. They're um, not, they're not the good one to start with. No, they normally come in in absolute shit order. Mm -hmm. um, then they're normally you know, terribly dehydrated and stressed if you do get them going, they never seem to calm down. Even in the most well-planted uh, Viv, mm -hmm. they're always cage defensive. They're always essed up. They're always gaping mouths. They never mm -hmm. seem to just, just chill. Whereas other species, not that I would, but other species, you know, calm as anything. You could just put your hand in and lift them straight out. It's Sure. I mean, if I'm not to, I don't want to set a bad example. I, will will say that like I really do pay very very close attention to my animals um I revolve my life around specifically boyga as far as like what I do with my free time um and I know how to read uh, all of my animals really well so I'll say like with nigriceps or with cynodon um even with my cyania and other stuff I can definitely reach right in, you know, lift a hide, pull one or two or three of them out if they're, you know, it's a big tank or whatever, and you throw them up over a shoulder and I can interact with them like they are a corn snake or a rat snake. But I have never trusted doing that with any dendro, especially not melanota. <laughs> um, and, I, and I never would, you know, they're just, there's certain species you can get a little bit more out of a little more tolerant or a little more trusting for whatever reason. And then there are certain species that I don't, if you've been doing it for 20 years, you still probably shouldn't get that relaxed with it. You yeah. know, I, I completely agree. I mean, everybody wants a mangrove snake because uh, Phil and I had this conversation before when you're small and you're getting your first book of snakes, it's normally a mangrove snake that's on the cover of that book. Mm -hmm. And I think that's TFH always. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that imprints on you and you, know, you I mean, I've got them. I, I think they're great, but I completely get what you're saying. They shouldn't be what, what people consider a beginner boiger. Right. Be right. Yeah. I, I love mine, but they are, they're not, if I want to, just hang out with a boyga or take one out and remind myself why I have them. It's not going to be one of my, my melanota. It's going to be a nigriceps or a cynodon. hundred percent. Do you have any of the smaller species? Um, you talking like trigonata, drapezii, Benku stuff. 
Yeah, I was working with some Java and Trapezii um, that I picked up just before we moved from Arizona to Virginia. Um, we moved our whole collection with us and it was across the entire U.S. So it was really stressful and we, we didn't lose any animals. We did everything we could and it was all safe. However, well, I shouldn't say we didn't lose any animals. We lost a couple animals, um, but nothing we had already had. The small group of uh, Drapezii that we had picked up just before the move got eating and everything. We gave them about a month. Fingers crossed, you know, that they'd make the move. We basically, they were a local pickup, so we just didn't want to pass up on them. And it seems like they didn't, they just overstressed and didn't make the move. Yeah. Um, I do like some of the smaller species. I don't work with many of them. The smallest are probably the Cyania uh, and the Nigroceps and the uh, Gemacincta. Yeah, I, I I used to have a trigonata, stunning little thing, absolute mm -hmm. mimic of saw scale vipers. It, you know, sometimes you you went to, you look in the viv and you you, you do a double take because you think is that a saw scale viper in there? No, it is. It's a trigonata. Those little like grays and and pattern yeah. that they've got. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I can see why they get you know so much uh, trouble from locals. If you saw that sure. in a half light crawling around in your house or whatever it looks so much like echis it's not true it's, it know. doesn't help that they've got one of the more one of the more diamond shaped heads of 100%. most of the boy and especially as babies yeah so, yeah arboreal egg eater yeah yeah very much yeah, yeah. very much. unintended yeah <laughs> um, oh you, hey you... that's a that's a question for you nipper have you what? speaking of eggs uh nobody really ever talks about really like diets of boyga and stuff and other things that like they should be eating. And I seem to find myself feeding my cynodon, um, not really the nigroceps, but my cynodon, my nigroceps, some of my bigger boyga eggs lately. Oh, really? And that's, that's cool. And the interesting part is like, they've never eaten them. And I started just putting them in there and puncturing a hole in them with like a safety pin just in the top. So a little of that like albumin or fluid could leak out on the egg. And just leaving them overnight and now they've all been transferring over to eggs wow. and so with them being like kind of nest raiders or designed to do so i was just curious if yours have ever i've never I've got to be honest, you've tried i've never tried eggs i feed almost exclusively um birds oh okay very, yeah very very rarely and, and oftentimes uh particularly like the nigroceps won't touch um mammal stuff it, but birds they will smash it um and again with um the mangroves totally all birds either quail or dale chicks or something like that um and they'll eat multiple chicks you put a mouse or a large rat or a small rat in there or something like that not interested whatsoever i, I have, have a used, same experience there yeah i have used um lizards for some of the smaller species sure um, like the uh, the trigonata, for example, would not eat anything else but lizards. Um, that makes sense. And and for juveniles, um, I, I use lizards sometimes to get them started. But you know, predominantly, uh, I, I I feed birds. But now, I'm going to try. Are you using just chicken eggs or quail eggs? So or? with with adult cynodon or with my big melanota, they can do a chicken egg no problem. With the nigroceps, uh, quail eggs just you know, two or three quail eggs, throw it in there in a little group in like a nest or something yeah. and leave them overnight. And they're usually gone in the morning. That's fantastic. And then I presume they're regurgitating the shell later on. 
you find in the little... So get this, they do not regurgitate the shell. And, oh. and I'll, uh, I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to get your contact after this so I can send you some videos. Send, You'll find them really yeah, interesting. Sure. But yeah. they will, uh, they don't even break the egg. They oh. will, they'll open up around it. And I have come to notice that I think the, the rear fang, the, those back teeth uh, have a, a second role in the diet. Whereas if it's not chewing and feeding venom into the prey item, it's actually working like a, you know how ice climbers use like a, a nail or like hooks in their shoes to, 100%. and then pull them. So it's, it's working like an anchor. I've noticed that they'll get their, their bottom jaw opened up around it and they'll try to get a good spot. And then what they'll do is they'll take that one side of the top of their mouth and they'll anchor those teeth into the egg without breaking it. And they'll use that as a way to pull that weird shape of an egg further into like their gullet. Um, and then they'll take it all the way down and you'll see just a, a huge egg all the way down through the belly and they'll eat three or four of them. So it's hilarious oh, yeah. that they, they look yeah. like a piece of candy or something, yeah. but they've got all these little eggs in them. And one at a time, they'll digest the egg. It'll break inside the belly, and then they'll poop out the shells. That's my, I cannot wait to try this. That it's super really strange, cool. but it's really yeah. interesting. I'm when definitely going to try that. When I had my big Cynodon, uh, we had happened to have Terry Burwell on the show on, on THP. Mm -hmm. and, he, and we were talking about Cynodon because I I'd just gotten one. And he was a fresh import, and he was full of worms and whatnot. And we took care of him and got him eating chicks and everything else. But... Uh, Terry was like, yeah, man, I, I just give him chicken eggs. And I was like, what? And then he's like, yeah, just put get a deli cup, put some chicken eggs in there, just make sure they're not cold from the refrigerator, mm -hmm. and just sit back and see if he eats them. And I saw the the climber's ice picks. It's weird, isn't it? And it it's, but it's, it's so interesting. So cool. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to try that. That's amazing. Yeah. The That's egg really thing's good. really nice. And uh, yeah. if you if you're ever struggling with like getting a, a fresh import microceps or, you know, something that's around that juvenile quail egg size going and it's not taking chicks or, or birds or eggs or rodents, uh, chicken hearts, just since we're on the topic of food items, you can okay. buy like a bucket of chicken hearts, basically like catfish food. Right. And uh, you could feed them chicken hearts. And that's like a okay. fantastic protein food I, item. for Yeah. Them. I've done that for the false water cobra would loved offal it, it was really weird any offal it would eat whole hearts hmm. um pigs livers anything just absolutely go mad for it so yeah i'll give that a go as well that sounds awesome yeah all fun stuff to try <laughs> that's that's really cool um have you ever kept uh, flavacens no i've never actually come across them to try oh, to okay. keep them but that is a cool species it's really weird that there's quite an obvious um sexual dimorphism in them so oh, is there yeah it's they're easy to visually sex um in my humble opinion i mean somebody may tell me i'm wrong but um the males are you know you've seen them the beautiful tan color with the bars and the females are almost white with the bars I've, there's never i've never seen any male very interesting light colors um and again they're one of the they're very similar to man crabs in all the ones i've had Never calm down. They're, they're, they're quite small, obviously. I mean, I think that I think mine maxed out at probably three and a half foot, something like that. But okay. Always, always aggressive. Interesting. 
Yeah, but a really cool species. If you can get some, I highly recommend them. Now, do they spend uh, more of their time on like the under the leaf litter and stuff, or are they actually no, primarily the, arboreal? I um, I had them set up. In, I had two pairs. Um, I had them set up in uh, the the longest Exeterra, which I think is is that three foot the longest Exeterra. Okay, yeah, foot, and then the high one, really densely planted, um, and I had UV and uh you uh yeah uv tube for uvb and then a heat emitter and okay. that they would weirdly which I, I thought was weird they would hide on the ground under bark or coconut shells or whatever because although they're quite a long snake they will find a space that's <laughs> that's tiny oh yeah space, you know like ridiculously small but as soon as the lights clicked on even though they're nocturnal, they would come out and then they would go up and sit in the foliage. They do a little bit of basking. Basking and then just go back in. Okay, um, very interesting. A, a really cool species. Like if you can get hold of them, I mean, they, I think they're fairly easy to get hold of. They're, in, in the UK, they're very easy to get hold of. Probably the easiest captive bred uh, boy to get hold of in the UK. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, and I think that's, that's because... That's very we've, interesting. Yeah, we, we've got some um, prominent breeders that, you know... I think probably in the early 2000s, we had a load of wild court stuff come in. Now, are you anywhere um, near Mark King or Chris? I, I, I was just going to say, Mark King, okay. um, that's where I got two of my Flavicens from. Okay. Um, he's, he's, a big, he's a big breeder in the UK. He's, he's got a great... And a very nice guy, too. He, and he, he is, makes yeah, some really I'm nice sure. stuff. Yeah, he, he's, he's a good lad. Are you talking about Chris Lagvard? Yes. Yeah, he's in Holland. But okay. I know, okay. I know. I know Chris. I've, I, I, you know, I, I see him at the shows, and uh, he, his collection is phenomenal. He, he's an amazing breeder as well. He had he is uh, legitimately breathtaking boiga keeper. Oh, like, yeah. He, like 100%. as much as I commend both of you, because I don't have any boiga anymore, but he is like Mister Boiga. Oh, one hundred percent. Chris, yeah. he has. Uh, he has the recipe. Yeah. When, where if there's a secret recipe yeah. to to breeding everything boyga he's got yeah. it yeah he, yeah he, he's he does a lot and he's he's so down to earth he's such a nice guy as well which right you know, some some people when they're that successful and well known for keeping a certain species can be a little bit up themselves you know how this hobby can be <laughs> yeah look at me but no chris is so down to earth but his collection is phenomenal and such what's the word such it's such a tidy collection. It's so right. nicely, it's all, you know, nicely looked after. Brilliant. But he's absolutely like in species. Yeah. He's doing very, very well. So do you have any, uh, the uh, other splits from Wega? Have you got any uh, blanding eye or anything like that? Um, okay. So like the toxies and stuff, I yeah. would like to get some blandings or some pulves. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I have any of the splits from Boyga. It's pretty much all Boyga um, or the scrubs. The I guess the weird other little obscure stuff that we have are like a neotropical puffing snakes, the Brinonax postlanotus, and Fire. then uh, and then some venomous stuff. I guess the other weird arboreals are like like the wagglers vipers and stuff. Ah, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> the um... And do you not keep telescopus at all? 
I don't know. I'm really Um, really surprised. I I will say this. Uh, I I do get asked a lot if I have like blendings or any of the telescopic stuff, basically anything else that's rear fanged. And I think the reason that I say I can say no to it, I've worked in a couple shops and the one that like I really blossomed from, I guess, uh, was that shop I was talking about in Arizona. And that's owned by um, a guy named Christian Coletta. It's called Predators Reptile Center. If you ever are in Arizona and you want like a, a really diverse shop, that's Funnily a enough, really great place be, to go. Fingers um, crossed. I should be in Arizona in June because I'm going rattlesnake hunting. Beautiful. I uh, I actually might be visiting around that time. That's close oh. to my birthday. So, oh, yeah, we'll right. have to stay in touch on that. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And I have lots of friends out there. If if you need people to go with you, Herpin. Oh, we, um, we've, we've, lots we've of stuff. Got, we've got a quite a, a quite a good uh, makeup for the trip. We've got, um, obviously, Eric Burke, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Julander, and uh, Bobby Stone is coming as well. Beautiful. Are you guys meeting up with anyone in Arizona as like your uh, guide? I'm, I, I say um, Rob Stone's organizing the trip, so oh, okay. He's been, he's been there a fair few times before, um, and I think there is a local guy that's joining us as well. So cool! Uh, I'm absolutely stoked for it. I was supposed to go last October, but unfortunately, COVID right the states the states shut down, and and they killed it. Like they saw some fantastic stuff. Um, oh that's a bummer inclu- to miss that one is, huh? yeah <laughs> in- including my my number one wanted species to see in the wild in the states which is willardi um, oh cool yeah they they got a, they got a few of those but they got some nice clouds and um some cerberus and stuff like that so they, they absolutely nailed it so hopefully we will be successful cerberus can be a little bit tricky to find that time of year too they're a like a weird cooler weather yeah. a forested yeah. rattlesnake for what arizona gets yeah, so we shall see. Um, but let's get back to the fact that you're not. Yeah, keeping sorry. Sp- Anyways, um, you're not keeping telescopes. <laughs> the, so the reason I just never brought that stuff home is I got years um, that I'm very grateful for, but years working in that shop with such a large variety of different reptiles and snakes, and I I think I got to work with telescopists and like blandings and stuff when when nobody cared still, you know, they were, they were all over the place too. Yeah. They came in for 50 bucks on an import or whatever. And uh, all all the weird stuff like that, little wolf snakes and just random uh, little colubrids. But no, I worked with them for quite a while. And then I don't know. I just never, I never brought them home. I guess I always got my, my fix of what I got to do at work with them and what I got to learn and interact with was enough for me. So I just hadn't ever brought them home and just used any of that extra space or money or time to add more Boyega. But yeah. I definitely love them. If I were going to pick anything else to add outside of Boyega, um, it would be some telescopists or some toxicodryas. hundred percent. I'm, I think Boyega because of the mangroves has become so on point, so trendy with everybody. Mm-hmm. But, Telescopist seems to have been really left behind and some of the species are absolutely stunning. I know. But you know what uh the the Malagasy stuff has been getting popular for whatever reason all of a sudden uh, like the golds and the silvers. I keep I've got golds and silvers. I keep And those are beautiful. Well. Those are underrated. Um, they are if you're looking for a beginners if there is such a thing if you're looking for a beginners rear fang snake 
hundred percent the Malagasy cat-eyed snake. Yeah, it's I one agree. Of, it's, it's one of those snakes you have to hit with a hammer to kill it. I mean, it's yeah. so tough. Mm-hmm. Always feeds. They're really robust snakes, and you know, super interesting. They're really, really nice. Right. Um, I've got two yeah. guys in my town that I grew up with, like literally grew up with, and they both breed Malagasy cats. Uh, That's and cool. I'm 99% sure it's all silver, but every year they get at least both of them get two or three clutches and they sell out like this. So yeah, yeah. it seems like they sell well, they breed well, they, yeah. they get started. Well, I, everyone's always talking about how their speed so well, right out, right out of the egg. And like, 100%. you can't yeah. say that a lot. You can't even say that with King snakes a lot of the no. time. Yeah. I've got two species. Um, I've got a chum uh, in the, in the UK, Roger, and he is the sort of equivalent to Chris when it comes to uh, Malagasy cat snakes. Um, his collection is phenomenal. So, uh, uh, and the other thing he breeds, which I was going to ask you about, do you, have you ever kept herald snakes? So another I great was, thing. I was just going to mention heralds when you were talking about Malagasy's yeah. being like a really good kind of uh, more bluff, if anything. You don't yeah. really have to worry about them much. Heralds are kind of right there yeah. as well. Uh, absolutely stunning looking snakes. And, you know, yeah. Not that I would, you know, uh, recommend it, but sort of snake you could keep in a shoebox under your bed and it's going to be fine. You know, Absolutely brilliant sort of things yeah. and they got that they, that big giant like parrot snake mouth that yeah. just their head gets real flat and their mouth gets real wide i mean they're just yeah. cool snakes that's cool and, and the different color variations as well for the different localities I, I, right I love, I love shit like that that's very cool oh yeah yeah, yeah heralds so, are a really neat one that's yes that's grand so you said you've got uh wagglers as well Yes. Yeah. I've just got the, I've got one female. Um, we plan to get a little bit more into it, but if you've kept import arboreal vipers and stuff before, you know how things can go. Wagglers can be a little bit more of a finicky species. Um, anyways, I, I, I think it's one of my favorite um, arboreal pit vipers. I think they're absolutely stunning. Completely I, agree. And once they do click on, they're great snake. Uh, the the thing for me is I've never kept them because I oh, don't okay. know I don't know anybody that's ever had success with them long term. Yeah, um, see, we've had her for maybe six months now, and she's doing great. Yeah. But I won't yeah. say anything until we've had her for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I think as things are moving forward with the hobby in terms of um, the equipment that we can use. You know, now we can have proper full spectrum lighting and proper UV and UVA, UVB. I think the harder to keep snakes like um, the Tripodilamus will be much more prevalent in the hobby. But I think in the past, uh, uh, they just never seem to do well. Can you remember? Have you ever seen? It might be different in the States, but I cannot ever remember seeing captive bred wagglers. No, 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 no. I've never seen captive bred wagglers. I, I only know I only know one guy and he bought long-term captive Sumatrans from someone. He's actually on the other side of Florida. And this is the second year in a row. He did it in 2021 and now, well, I guess it would still be 2021. But yeah, this is the second go around with babies. All his babies he's holding back because he wants to make sure that he's doing everything correctly to keep it going. You know, just because yeah. we've all failed so many times with that genus. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. so it, difficult. 
it's a shame because I, I think they they will make a fantastic um, large arboreal display animal. I mean, yeah. if, if they if they were the same as white lips, I'd have loads of them because I think sure. they're actually stunning. But, well, and let's I mean, talk that, about how how good of like a, a tolerant viper they are. I mean, I've I don't think I've ever met a species that's so tolerant with riding a hook or being tailed or yeah. just interaction, you know, like now I would never do this, but she's a snake where I could reach straight back to the water dish in the back corner with her sitting on a perch. And I know she's not going to strike at me. It's she's that mellow, um, which is kind of crazy for mellow. a viper. Yeah. Almost too mellow. Yeah. Like you almost get complacent with how calm yeah. she is. Yeah. Well, I also think that it's also a testament to our, herping herper community in this day and age because if you looked back 10 years ago at people that were going to try and keep wags they would try and keep them like tremerceros but sure. i feel like now the people that are keeping wags in whatever capacity they're treating them more like emerald tree boas yeah, where yeah. they're leaving them alone They've realized that the metabolism is much slower than everything else in the jungle. So they're only feeding them every 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is. They're mm -hmm. not shoving rats down their throat. They're offering other prey items, lizards, birds, what have you. So I feel like our way of thinking with them in that emerald tree bow away is going to help the captive success of them. 100%. I mean, feeding something to note on that I've noticed with mine is a. Uh... They, they have better digestion if you feed them either a prey item that has no hair on it yet, like a large pinky rat, if it's a, you know, a smaller one, or things like birds. They digest yeah. the, the feathers or the, the skin and everything just fine, but they do have a problem with that fur. Yeah, I, th so. I think the hobby was it has been so ingrained. And I think it's just, I know I'm a, I, I moan at people a lot, it's lazy keeping, isn't it? It's easy to go and buy a load of rats and this is what snakes eat. So we'll just put a rat in there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you so rightly say, if a snake, you know, over millions of years has evolved to digest feathers and not fur, it's not. Or a lizard anything. over a or rat. A yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Um, but I do think there, there is a, a change in the hobby now where people are paying more attention to diet and supplements mm -hmm. and lighting. I think we're moving forward now. I've, I've really, certainly in Europe. And space. I think, I think that's space. a big part yeah. too. You know, you get better yeah. air clarity with, uh, with space yeah. and better ventilation yeah. and more, more yeah. room to stretch and be yeah. active and digest and burn calories and yeah, all the stuff they need yeah. to be doing. And the, and the, and Stimulating. The yeah. I think the bioactive movements helps as well um, in terms of, you know, Back in the day, people would have just, you know, literally had wet paper towel and a branch, and then sure. and, and stuck a snake in there. But now, I, you know, we can never recreate. We're we're always looking at a little tiny snapshot of a habitat. We can't recreate a whole habitat for the different microclimates. But at least there's an effort towards, the, you know, that sort of naturalistic keeping absolutely, and, and, and away from just keeping snakes in trays now. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at your vibs behind you at the moment. So uh, I can see. Yeah, there's. A, yeah. I try to try to do a little bit with them. You can kind of see, like, yeah, even, even the little baby vids are. It kind of yeah, foamed or escaped or yeah, and then planted. Yeah, that's good. Hundred percent. That's great. That's very cool. So, yeah, I think that's very important, though. What uh, what locality is your trope? I'm sorry. Say that again. What what locality is the Wagglers? 
Oh, I'm going to blank that right now. She is here. I'm just going to show her to you. She's sitting back up in here right now. I don't know if you can see her. Yeah, I can see her. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. If I'm being perfectly honest, this is the first time I have kept Wagglers. And as you know, my girlfriend is the one who is the actual venomous enthusiast. Like I have a lot more of the rear fang stuff. She worked for Phoenix Herpetological Sanctuary and has a, a lot more experience with the venomous stuff. Cool. So to be honest, if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably wouldn't have some of the stuff that I do have right now if she weren't involved, just because it would probably be irresponsible, like the bitters. Yeah. Um, so, so, so talk us through the other venomous stuff you've got then. Yeah. We just, so with Crotalis, I do have a lot of experience with growing up in Arizona. Um, we've got a Crotalis Atrox. I've got Serastes again. And then we've got the Wagglers. And then we have a Rhino Viper right now. Oh my gosh. So, where, sorry, where are, you based, where are you based in the States? I'm in Virginia now. So in yeah, Arizona, yeah. we weren't allowed to have anything that That's wasn't native. Right. And what protocols are there for you to own something like, I mean, they're quite seriously venomous stuff, some of the things you've got. I mean, Rhino Vipers is not a great day out if you get bit. Right. Um, <laughs> so what, what, what is the legality for that? What, what do you have to do in your state? Um, in the state of Virginia, it's, it's almost scary. We're one of those, like, if you will, like outlaw states where the danger is you're putting the danger in your own hands and kind of whatever happens happens, which unfortunately, in my opinion, that's not something that's good for the hobby because then if, you know, someone does get critically injured or something, there was no, there was no regulation to follow, um, as scary as it is to say, I was able to move from Arizona out here and two weeks later buy a Rhino Viper with no kind of anything. I just had, to, I just had to pay for it. Yeah, it's amazing. But uh, so, I, yeah, I'm going to I especially do everything that I can to be safe and responsible with them, especially in a state where the, the laws are like that. But in Arizona, you had to have a, a zookeeper's permit, um, right, which okay. they did. It was very, very hard to obtain. You had to have property and proof that you were essentially opening a zoo to be able to get anything like that. So all we were able to keep were anything native crotellus that wasn't protected. So no, no uh, Willard eye, none of the, the really cool stuff, but still 12 or so species that were on that list that we could keep. That's fantastic. So um, in terms of your protocols for keeping venomous. Yes. I, I, I have um, a building and I have venomous I have rear fang venomous, I have non-venomous, and I have geckos at the moment. Um, and to keep myself on it, I treat everything, not the geckos, obviously, but I treat all the snakes as if they were venomous. Okay. Because otherwise, I'm going to get in, complacent with your I'm venomous. I'm going to get complacent. I'm going to get tired. I just wondered if you did something similar. If, you, if you've got rear fang, which are you know, still venomous, but maybe less severe, um, and you've also got some top end <laughs> um, venomous stuff as well. So, uh, so I, I definitely do split it up. Instead of you, you have the smarter approach, in my opinion. Uh, treat everything like it is venomous. I 
can't seem to bring myself to as silly as it is, um, like use hooks with my boyga for whatever reason, call it a superstition or something. But I just, I just feel like it's more harmful to them than helpful to me. Uh, they've got such frail, fragile, like bones and bodies as it is that I don't know something about being able to give them a, a softer cushion of like my hands or my arms and get them associated with like the warmth from my skin and everything works better for me in the long run, especially with interacting. But so I guess my rule of thumb is I don't cowboy up. Um, I'll, you know, I'll never post a photo of me free handling any of my, my actual hots and I just hook everything. If it's venomous, it, it gets hooked. Every interaction is with a hook. Um, or two hooks, you know, if need be, sometimes the rhino viper can be a little crazy and it's a two hook situation. Sure, it could be tailed or it could be single hooked, but just to be safe, everything gets hooked or double hooked. And then if it's not not something venomous, we just treat it like it's a python or something else. But um, that's also why we keep the venomous collection fairly small. No, I, I mate, you're right. I, I, I think I've had a reasonably large venomous collection in the past and it, I think a small venomous collection is a lot better than a big venomous collection, having done both um, in terms of the joy of it. You don't want it to be a chore, mm -hmm. but also, you know, when you've got, I don't know, 30 or 40 venomous snakes, it's a lot it's a harder lot. to, it's a, it's a lot and it's a lot harder to maintain that and takes a lot more of your time mm -hmm. because it's, it's a lot it's more a, dangerous. It's a lot more dangerous. It's, it's not like 30 or 40 king snakes where you can quickly dash in, grab a water bar and dash out again. Right. Each time, you, each time you're opening that cage, it's, it's like a pre-planned thing. If, if you've got yeah, 20 cages... It out, put it in a bucket, yeah, go yeah. in, do the business, then put it so, back. Yeah. Um, so hence, I'm, I'm thinning out you know, a lot of my venomous stuff, the arboreals and stuff like that, the, uh, the atheris and things like that. Um, and I'm just going to stick with rattlesnakes, I think, long term. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll still keep the rear fang stuff because I think I find that so interesting. And you, and you can manage that, like you said, with your king snakes. Yeah. If, if you have yeah. to, you can manage yeah. that. 100%. I wonder why you chose the species you did to have the, the venomous species. It's, well, it's the, quite... both, if I'm being perfect, so the croats are just a love for back home. I'll always love crotalis. Um, the western diamondback, iconic to Arizona. And then um, awesome. I've actually... Cerastes, uh, the Crotalus Cerastes circle bombus, the little, little guys were, oh. they're the little sidewinders. Those yeah, were the like first snake I ever actually reproduced. Um, wow. and I bred those back in Arizona. And so those will have a special place in my heart forever. So yeah. I'll always try to keep Cerastes. They're very, very high on my want list at the moment. Um, they're amazing snakes as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the, the. There's a big, there's an International Snake Day show every October in Europe, and you can you can get pretty much anything there. And uh, they're, they're basically pygmies with really good attitudes for being a, a pygmy rattlesnake. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, but I know what I'm like. If I'll get them, and I will want every subspecies. Yeah, <laughs> and then certain localities, but I will definitely have them. I think it's one of my favourites. The I believe there's snakes. there's only three though at least right there's, there's like three, three that's it. yeah that's it yeah, yeah. um and, and they all stay fairly small um yeah but yeah such a uh, those in a five foot tank with sculpted tank would just be insane with really decent lighting and yeah 
<sighs> and they're and they're great communal snakes. You know, rattlesnakes are fantastic communal. So yeah, a really shit. cool setup with some space and a couple of them is a really cool just yeah, build to have in I, your house. I, I keep um, I keep my my uh, my my rattlesnakes together, either pairs or trios. I don't I don't have some mm-hmm. singular. And touch wood, I've never had any problem with that. They've always, you know. Yeah, I totally believe that. Happily coexisted. I'm kind of hoping we see some sidewinders in Arizona. That would be a, on that. I trip. I'll be uh I'll be like disappointed if you guys don't. If you're gonna run uh, into anything in Arizona, it's Atrox and Serastes. Either one of those, I will lose my shit. Sure. I mean, I have this I have this I have this conversation with Phil all the time. I'm I'm very lucky that I've hurt around the world. For some reason, I've not done the states. No, but kidding. that's but that's my favorite kind of area for stuff that I keep. It's sure. really, maybe it's because I haven't been there. I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, anything I see that most people will just be yawning at, Oh yeah. It's another pygmy rattlesnake. I will lose my shit. hundred percent. Oh, it's funny you say that because uh, I mean, there's, I don't think there's a reptile keeper alive that doesn't look up to or admire Steve Irwin a little bit. Um, yeah. And everybody wants stuff from Australia. You know, we drool over things like Olimpelis and Parentes and all kinds of yeah. really, really cool animals. And um, I remember a an interview, a really old interview with Steve Irwin, where he had actually said that his favorite place on the entire planet to go herping and to find reptiles was Arizona. And it's oh. so funny because like, it, it's so different from Australia. And for him, there are there are no vipers in Australia and Arizona's covered in rattlesnakes. There's no rattlesnakes yeah. out, out where he was. So yeah, yeah it's, um, it I is a cool to, place. I, I literally, I cannot wait. I mean, it's, and some of the other little things, um, also rear fang, you get lion snakes there, don't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I'm That's really, a really I mean, cool snake too. I, I, I can't understand. Well, it's possibly because they I think they're lizard feeders only, aren't they? Yes. Um, If you can get them acclimated to to rodents, all the power to you, but they're a lizard feeder. Because I'm surprised, to me, that is just a a U.S. boiger. That's what they are. Absolutely what they are. I'm I'm surprised they're not a popular, more popular choice in in the hobby. What they're like is they're actually like a big telescopist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a kind of that more like flatty, shovely head. Still the big cat eyes though, and uh, not quite as arboreal. They're like okay. semi-arboreal. Okay, yeah, that's on my list of things to see. Anything I see out there is going to be amazing. Can I'll I, uh, I'll send you a list of some some roads and places to go out night cruising that you can bounce oh. against your buddies when you're out there. Yeah, hundred percent for, for liars and serastes. Yeah, that'll be good. That'd be really I was good. I was chatting to um, Eric, and uh, he's been moaning the fact that he can't get to Australia, as you've just said. You know, everybody wants mm-hmm. to go to Australia, and then I googled the herp list for Pennsylvania, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's not, somewhere, it's not somewhere I can sit, even considered herping, and yet when you read the list of things that are in Pennsylvania. You know, from hellbenders to timber rattlesnakes and cotton, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. I think they have milk 20... snakes and corn snakes and Nerodia. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah they've, they've got 25 species of salamander there. Mm-hmm. That's just phenomenal. We're very close to uh, Pennsylvania, and that was a big when we moved out here. It was 
Arizona has a huge herp list, but it's completely opposite stuff than what's out here. So yeah. it was cool to look at, you know, an equally as large list, but way, way different animals. Do you, uh, forgive my ignorance, do you get timbers in Virginia? We do. They are protected, um, but we do get them out here. Do we eat timbers and, yeah. What's the squeaking? Oh, I'm sorry. That, uh, it's, it's been going, it's been going for a while and then it just got louder and louder and louder. And I was like, oh man, we got to pause. I'm going for a tortoise. It's a tortoise in a vehicle. Oh, you're close. I'll give you one more guess. Uh, blue tongue skink. Oh, close. It's a monitor lizard. Uh, yeah. It's just one of my, uh, my pet Savannah and she's, Come on, come on. She's scratching at her plexi because she sees me sitting here and I don't hear it and probably tone it out. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be, uh, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll cut it up earlier so like it, this isn't in there. But for a while it was like, <laughs> I'm glad you said something. I wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, because I know I'm going to get text messages with people like, what the hell happened to Matt's episode? Yeah. So. Nope, that's all that's being caused by this. Oh it is a blue tongue. <laughs> yeah, it is a blue yeah, it is, it a, is blue a blue tongue. tongue. <laughs> that's Taliqua. Uh, I see I thought it was a dog like grinding on the corner of a rubber toy. Oh that's what it sounded like on, on my end. But yeah, yeah, normally that would drive me nuts. I probably just don't hear it because the headphones. Yeah. So, sorry, where were we? I, I, I was just fangirling about Herp in Arizona, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, how have you got your sidewinders set up? Have you got uh, sand, sand, rocks, and a basking spot, really, um, as far as simplicity goes. Like, so right now I just have some captive bred little ones. So, they have an acrylic setup with a heat pad, some sand, um, and then there's like a little rubber aloe plant it's like in the back corner and then a little rock for them to be able to sit or, or brush against in a water dish and yeah that's about it that's cool and what you're feeding those rodents i presume not lizards um yes rodents and that's another one that may be tricky to get started because they will eat lizards in the wild they do switch yeah. to mice as well um when i had that litter had a litter of 10 babies, like seven of them took mice right away. Um, didn't even have to be live, just had to be warm and thawed. So they will pretty willingly take them, but there definitely were a couple that were pickier. That's great. I cannot wait to get some. It's very high. I've, uh, I think you'll like them a lot. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got a space mapped out for pairs of clouds, pairs of lips, and cerastes. Hmm. That's, uh, Those are all very cool. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. It's just trying to get. Up. I don't know. I don't think the COVID lockdown was as quite as um, robust in the states as it has been in Europe. But um, I cannot wait to start getting back to shows and being able to buy stuff again because we've had nearly two years of no shows and it's been quite grim. Yeah. Wow. See, out here they're still trying to run shows. They're trying to well, regulate them. Yeah, we but, had our first first international show, first European show was december okay just gone that was the first show i'd been to for 18 months that's crazy and it's mad i spent so much money it was ridiculous but 
unfortunately that show they didn't have a venomous license so there was no venomous there but i bought i bought loads of australian geckos and things like that but um but the houghton show uh that's the international snake day has a phenomenal array of venomous for sale i mean i just incredible absolutely incredible now correct me if i'm wrong but did you used to keep cobras as well no i i feel loves a cobra i right cannot, i genuinely cannot see the point of them sure. um they are just hood tat that's you know they're only interested <laughs> they're, they're only interested when they're annoyed really they destroy their cage they poop all, all over the yeah. place then yeah. they always want to fight you yeah. Yeah, and no, I've got lots of friends that keep them, but um, I, I genuinely do not see the appeal. So it's um, I've kept um, the Aspidelaps before, which I thought were absolutely stunning. Very, very quick, but absolutely stunning. Yeah, um, I'm okay. done with that genus. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but the but actually cobras, it's like anything. It doesn't float my boat. I, I would love a rhino viper, but it's not something I personally would keep purely because of the risk involved yeah you know yeah that's uh and i'll be completely honest with you my little female she was captive uh she was captive born she came from brandon um oh my brain wants to say wheeler and that's not who it came from um but she was captive born and she's a monster. She is, she's hisses and strikes at anything that comes near yeah. her. So she's, you know, she's even especially dangerous for us for that reason. Do you know what locality the rhino is? Yeah. He's a Congo. She. Cool. Interesting cool. species to keep. Yeah. See the, the rhinos were a species that ever since the first time I saw them when I was a kid, I had had to work with them someday. They're just way too beautiful and um everything about them just they look like dragons it's like why people love their squamature and stuff but oh yeah 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 i, I keep those but i think they're going to be going as well so uh how just, come you're uh, getting rid of those um i, I just want to focus on um rattlesnakes crotalis yeah just cistrurus crotalis just that and um i think it's difficult to give everything I've only—I say I've only. That sounds really bad. I'm fortunate that I have a building, but I have one building. I don't have it, it's—it's not you know it's not like I've got multiple spaces where I can do different right. humidities and different temperatures. Right. So if I'm keeping the Pitcherophis and the Mountain Kings uh, and the Cistrurus, and I want to get the Mountain Rattlesnakes, you know, Ravus and um, Cloudbrine and Lepidus and that sort of thing. It's easier to just keep all of that sort of thing where the temperatures are going to be reasonably the same and the humidity needs to be reasonably the same yeah. rather than, um, you know, I've, I've got at the minute various bits and bobs that uh, are more Asian species or African species. So they're fantastic. And I think everyone in their life should keep squams at some point because they're just such a nice snake to keep. You know, they're always out. By and large, they're not aggressive. You know, I, and that's you know this, the color. And they're beautiful. They're yeah, absolutely they're stunning. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I will struggle to get rid of my clarekis because I think I prefer those to the squams personally, although okay. they're out of green. But um, yeah, I just think I'm at the, I'm at the time where I, I I want a smaller collection now. That is, yeah. I'm really. I, it, it, you know, it's for not fantastic. We can field herp again now. 
because you know the restrictions and i've missed field herping so much and i'd rather have more time to field herp i'll, I'll never not have a, a collection of snakes and various other right. bits and bobs mm-hmm. but i don't want that to be everything now i need to you know have time to go and do my field herping you gotta um, still enjoy yourself yeah 100 percent. i mean uh, you know i've been talking to phil and that i've got so many trips already planned and booked up for this year so many uh, nice species to see i need to see some vipers in the wild it's been too long yeah i would love to see uh any any kind of arboreal viper in the wild would be top of the list for me i think seeing bush vipers and stuff or eyelash vipers would be amazing 100 percent. i was talking to henry yesterday and um he's into he wants to get some kasnikovi yeah the Vipira Kasnikovi. And um, he got me, you know, we was chatting away. So I've started looking at books and things. Oh, my days. I might have to start getting some European vipers again. But keep it, keep keeping them outside, not keeping them in the in the building. Because uh, sure. I, don't, I don't think many of the European vipers do well in Vivaria. But outside, they seem to do really, really well. It's yeah, cool yeah. living in a place you can do that too. Yeah. You need oh, yeah. some European vipers. Your climate's got to be fairly similar. Yeah. In Virginia. You could yeah, play. yeah, here it would be, definitely. It's yeah. leagues different over here than it was back in Arizona. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, you should get some European. There's some stunning European vipers. Yeah, that would be really cool. There's a – it's kind of like you said. Once we have, have everything in, in a small room as well right now, so – and I'm – working really hard to be someone who's moving out of that old way of keeping and just really upgrading each, each enclosure for what it is from here. So I don't have much space at the moment, but there is going to be a lot of once, once we can do a building um, or get a little bit more space, there's a lot more that I think we want to dip our toes into. I know Allie wants to keep a lot more of that stuff. Uh, That's my next, that's my next question for you. What's on your list that you don't currently keep, but you're looking to get? Oh, that's a hard question. That's 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 <laughs> one of those. You know, that is a question that needs a ten beers and a long time to answer. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you off the top of my head, it's not venomous, but um, I really do want to work with uh, some Halmahera scrub pythons. That would be something that I'd like to add to some localities okay. we have, and then. Uh, Oh man, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, realistically, any species of boyga that I don't already keep, I'm very interested in keeping. I, that whole genus, I'm fascinated with. Uh, sulfurus, Spilotes sulfurus, is one that I would really like to add to uh, working with. Any puffing snakes, really. Yeah, my friends just just got a pair of those. Uh, we we picked them up in um, the last show in December. They're angry, man. They are really not people-friendly snakes. They're really angry <laughs> snakes. If it, yeah. if it wants to be the, the big dog on campus when I yeah. go in there to maintenance, that, for yeah. whatever reason, I think that's that's fun to work with. Yeah, 100%. I don't, I don't, like, you know, I don't want a snake that just sits there. and uh, It's nice to have a little challenge every now and let, you know, let you know that it's, it's in there. Yeah. I don't want it to fling no. um, a movement at me, but... If it wants to strike at me and hiss, by all means. Yeah, hundred percent. So you keep scrubs at the moment. Yeah, yeah. What's what, we're, what scrubs uh, do you have? So we're working with some sarong barnecks. I've got a wagyo 
uh, island locality, Barnick stuff, and then Marauke's southern oh, okay. so, southern stuff. Yeah, got some patternless and then some like standard pattern stuff. That's cool. I've I've already got um, Aru Island. Um, Ooh, I like the Aru stuff a lot and the Manakori stuff. Yeah, that's that's. I'm afraid that's going to be going as well. That doesn't fit in with a plan anymore. So the scrubs in general. Yes, it's yeah. I, I think snakes. they're amazing. They're big snakes. I'm the only. I'm keeping. I've got Apodora as well. Um, oh, very so, cool. So I've got an, uh, an adult pair of Apodora. Um, they won't be going anywhere. They're, they're hands down, my favourite. <laughs> they're just amazing. Um, but yeah, all the all the bigger stuff, the boys and that will be going, and it's just going to be. The on the python note i phil do you still keep water pythons i still have a pair yep they getting big they're getting big i mean they're not <laughs> as thick as my arm yet but sure they are uh man i guess it was they're two years old this past july wow and uh i'm hoping i'm hoping maybe end of it's probably it's got to be i guess spring of 24 I'm hoping I could probably put them together. Very put, cool. Putting food in them, man. And and I I was skeptical when I got them about like, oh, they're Queensland or they're not Queensland, whatever. No, they are 100% Queensland looking. And like they're turning that good brown color with the peach and yellow on the stomach. So Yeah, very cool. I've just put my – I've got a trio of um, Fog Dam. Um, and they're five years old. And this is – I've just put them together for the first time – a little while ago oh all fingers crossed for you yeah hell yeah yeah we've got some scrubs together right now um both came in six and seven years ago from dan and now they're huge full-grown massive snakes so hopefully i mean they've been locking up and doing all their business right in front of us they're not ashamed of it so yeah hopefully something Something comes of that down the road. That's, that's it's very cool. Testament to good keeping. Yeah, that's what we like to think. Honestly, um, I I get asked about the Boyega stuff all the time, and how how do we breed them or how do we get them to breed? I don't really have a lot of advice for you. I can tell you that they do enjoy, you know, if a rain comes in or something like like a lot of arboreal snakes for whatever reason that stimulates something in them. Um, you know, pressures do you- don't necessarily have to change, but I just keep them the way they need to be. Do you have misting systems in your vivs for the Boyga, or do you just hand spray, or you're not don't even just 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 hand spray? Um, And to be completely honest with you, it's so every all my Boyga have large like tub style water dishes, and they all soak in them. Um, They all like I will catch them every now and then, like just taking a soak in the water, rather be going into shed or rehydrating or whatever it is. They all drink from standing water, um, and then they get they get sprays like a couple times a week. If I'm being honest, they don't seem to. Seems like they stay off the ground a lot more if I keep their substrate damper, um, and they end up having little skin issues and stuff if they spend all their time on the ground when it's that damp. So for me, I let them kind of dry out. I give them light mists um, that kind of just like dust the body and raise the humidity a bit for them. But aside from that, they don't have a misting system and they don't stay on like a a heavy mist. I don't think it would hurt them to have a mister on them. But I also think that mine have been kind of just chilling without it. Are they in a a low traffic area in terms of... 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're in a room that I'm never in unless yeah. I'm maintenancing, feeding, you know, something yeah. like that. I think that makes a massive difference. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. with, 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 you know, and we've all been there when we were younger, but I think people that have, are trying to breed or keep, you know, mangroves and something like that in their bedroom when they're in and out like a fiddler's elbow, turning the lights on and off, um, mm-hmm. you know, playing or, or just they have a reptile room, but they're always in it. Yeah. They like, think, they hang out in it. Yeah. I think uh, Boyga thrive on just being left alone. That's yeah. yeah. That's another thing too. I don't, I don't handle them. I, if no. I want to pull a, a snake out to interact with the snake, it's a scrub or, and it's a younger yeah. scrub that I'm trying to mellow out or it's a yeah. carpet Python or something else that I have. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's not the Boyga. No, you know, you see people with, particularly with the mangroves, you know, they're on Instagram every other day, taking a different picture of the same snake. And you just think that is, you know, it's, it's not the snake for that, you know, get yourself a ball python or something if that's what you want to do. Right. It's, yeah. there's a, there's a different personality to Boyga. There is a, an intelligence there that they'll tell you what they need if you know how to look for it or you're paying yeah. attention. Yeah, and if 100%. you, if you pay attention and you give them what they need and then you, you leave them alone because they're solitary animals. They, I mean, they're, they're really easy to keep. It, it's not a, there's not a complexity to, to keeping them alive. The complexity is not setting them upright in the first place. And then that's, that's where people run into issues. You, you get yeah. the right advice and you set them up the right way. And then you don't generate all your time into taking photos of them in your hand. Yeah. Then they're going to acclimate and they're going to settle in and they're going to be a really, really good snake but they are shy and they are nocturnal and a lot of interaction happens during the day. So you're only making things worse for that matter. Yeah. hundred percent. So in terms of um, your larger uh, mangroves and stuff like that, um, what, what do you, what do you think about people that are free handling them or what do you think the risk is? I mean, we know they're rear fang, but, do you consider them to have, to be a, a species with a risk or do you think that it's, there is no risk for it? I'm in the middle um, for, I guess, mixed opinion. Um, I think mangroves specifically, I would just say don't, don't free handle them or like really handle them much at all. Um, but, you know, with, if someone were to ask me, can I handle my nigriceps? I'm probably going to tell you absolutely, you know, just make sure you, you get to know that animal before you do so. And, understand you know is it a striker does it like to sneaky bite is it really tolerant you know can you uh, yeah they're they're you know they're not gonna it's an animal where if you take it off of you once it bites you and you're you know relatively quick about it you should have no reaction at all but there are those certain circumstances where people can be really reactive and i've been chomped and and let them chew so i if you're going to keep um, Boyga, I think that one important thing to say is do plan to take a bite. Um, they, they probably are going to bite you unless you keep them like they're 100% venomous and you never touch them. But I don't think that that's the way that you should keep them. So that's where I say that they may not be made for everybody. If you are going to keep them, I think you should be aware that you're in a kitchen that might burn you if you're going to play with the fire that's in it. And you should know what your reactiveness is. So if that means that have someone home with you and let one of your feistier ones like get you one of those times that it's sitting there striking at you, 
and I'm not saying sit there and let it chew on you and do everything that it can, but take a quick bite, pull it off. Or, or if it doesn't even hang on, take that quick bite and just, just see how your skin reacts. See how you feel on a comfort level with that potentially happening because there is the possibility that it can't. And um, I think that the more that you work with some of this stuff, you can free handle it if the individual is right for it. But if, if the animal's not, then I mean, my big melanota, I will free handle if I need to. Um, he's one, he's really, really big and heavy. So a hook is pretty hard on him. But the other thing is like, he's, he's pretty mellow for a melanota, but I don't trust him. I, he's not a snake that I let his head rest on my arm because he is a snake that I know will sneak bite me if I let that happen. I also know that he's very motion motivated. So, you know, if I have him out and someone moves in front of him, he's going to strike at them. So that animal, I just interact with differently than I would with like, say my big cynodon who, like you said, you'd essentially have to, to step on them for them to even like puff up at you at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I have a mixed response on that. Um, they're not a, a snake for everybody. They can be potentially dangerous. You should treat them as if they're 100% venomous until you are comfortable or properly educated or have that kind of experience. Since, yeah, we're, on the, since we're on the topic of it, um, going back to babies and getting babies feeding. Um, yes. One thing I've noticed recently is a lot more a lot more breeders that are dealing with troublesome colubrid neonates, they're feeding them in their hand. And I guess the thought process initially was, well, I'm already holding the animal by the head to assist feed it. I might as well continue this. And even though I'm, I'm using my hand as a platform and I'm still using hemostats or tweezers to feed the prey item. And at the same time, it's becoming tolerant of the heat of my hand and becoming tolerant of being, you know, touched with fingers and such building trust, building trust. Right. Um, or I mean, breaking them like a horse, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, do you do that? Or have you done that with like the nigriceps and the, and the cytodon stuff and the, uh, uh, Absolutely. I think, uh, I think that if, if they don't take right off the tongs, your best bet's going to be to a system. Um, yeah. You get, you have to get very lucky to just leave it overnight and have it flip a switch all of a sudden and decide to eat it. So, uh-huh. and, and I'm not one to skip meals or wait out something like a boiga because their metabolism is so fast to begin with that they're, they're going through a lot of body nutrients as it is in that, that growing process. I mean, a lot happens in the first three months of a snake being born growth wise. So it's a really critical time to actually get meals down. They are designed to eat a slightly bigger meal. Um, but if they're being assist fed, I try to keep them in my hand if, if that's what's going to be the least stressful thing for them. So if I can get them set back into like an enclosure where they have their, their privacy and they're not so stressed to where if I step back, they're going to spit it out. I think setting them back is, I mean, probably the least yeah. stressful thing for them. They can get the meal down. They can go into a place to hide or if anything, done, let, them done go, deal. let them go off your hand on your own. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's basically what I do. I let them get yeah. the food. And then once they take a couple chomps on it, I kind of like set them over the lip. And then a lot of the time they'll just carry off the meal, awesome. but there are, um, there are tricks with force feeding too, where I've noticed if you run into something that doesn't want to take the meal all the way down, um, you can kind of cartwheel with your hand 
you kind of let them move forward while that food kind of hangs out of their mouth and kind of make them think like they're just running away with it. Yeah. And then at a point they'll kind of, you know, stop and take it down. But they do seem like an animal that wants to eat in the tree. Like there's some kind of safety net for them being sure. up somewhere while they're eating that food. So if you do have something like a boyga, for example, like in your hands or an enclosure with a nice branch up top, you can get them to. That's, that's my best experience with feeding them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's kind of what I thought you were gonna say, and and I I got baby telescopus, and I tried to do I tried normal feeding. I knew it wasn't gonna work, but I figured you know what, let me just try it. I tried mm-hmm. live, just left there for them, and then I tried the hand thing because everyone who does Kribos and they do uh, Pacillonotus and whatever else they do this hand thing, and I'm like, man, you know what? It's such a small baby. It's not overly aggressive these ones are not striking all they want to do is run away i said let me try and do it with my hands and i tried to do like you said like that treadmilling just like mm-hmm. keep them going and they just they were terrified i said this is not going to work and that's when i went to ulterior scenting practices and now i got them they'll eat damn near anything i put in front of them but sure yeah i, I thought it was interesting with the with the egyptian telescopus they did not want anything to do with the human hand or, or striking or rearing up or anything. It was just run. So sure. I figured I'd ask since we're on the topic of all the Boyga baby stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, and I mean, still, it can be up to like individuals, both these little gems behind me. Um, they'll both take off the tongs already. The other one has to be, won't even take an assist. Like it has to be force fed, you know, I got to get mm-hmm. the food all the way down to the back of the throat and then a little toothpaste it down into the belly, put them away and leave them alone. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't cartwheel with that animal if I tried, but okay. the other two would probably be no problem. So I guess sometimes it could, again, just be down to like the stress individual. level in the, in the individual. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Very cool. The post of notice is like the hardest thing in my whole collection to feed and it eats and I, it was produced by Jason hood and I bought it, you know, eating on its own and it does eat on its own, but it only eats off of a tease. And the problem is that it has to be teased for like 20 minutes before it decides to actually take it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've watched Billy hunt do his Pacillanos that again, produced by Jason hood. Yeah. Dude, it's crazy. He'll, he has a, you know, the little wire wheelie cart that we all have Mm -hmm. and he'll put the container there. He'll open the lid. The thing S's up at him because it knows the food's coming and he'll just tease it and tease it and tease it. And the thing is doing backflips and somersaults and, and mouth gaped and mouth repeated gaped, strikes, and... Flail, tail flailing, tail whipping. And then finally it'll bite. Billy just stands there motionless, mm-hmm. releases and, the and it'll start to chew and it just starts to eat it. And it's like, yeah. And, and when they do decide they're going to eat it, they inhale it. Oh yeah. It's, they eat it as fast as they can. Yep. Crazy. Right? Yeah. It's so interesting. Awesome species. Awesome species. They're beautiful oh, too. Have you uh, kept langahar before? I'm sorry. What? Uh, oh, did you say blanding? Uh, langahar. No, I haven't. Okay, I, I think you'd. I think you'd really like them. I think you'd really he like would. those. He totally would. I yeah. don't. I can't I'm, say that I've ever even seen those. Have you got know, the Madagascan leaf nose snakes? Oh, is oh, is that the scientific on them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like the rhino viper with the big, but it's like flasso. Yeah, yeah, those are the, neat. They are. I, I love them. Absolutely love them. They again, you know, they're sexually dimorphic. The males have one shaped nose. The female, they've just got like the, a long nose, kind of like a baron's racer. 
Yeah. Whereas the fe- female's got like a flattened leaf of a nose. Yeah, it um, looks like a rigid leaf. Yeah, 100% lizard feeders only. Um, okay. Although mine, I do, if I can't get lizards, I will assist feed with uh, chick legs. Uh, it's, you know, it's... It, it's kind of the same as a lizard once it's digested. There's no sure. feathers on it. It's 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 the same sort of. Um, but I, I think they're fantastic species. I, th- I think you'd really really like them. That's really it, cool. I I actually had never really, once that I've never really thought about actually keeping them, but I am familiar with those, and that is a really yeah. really neat snake. Chrysalidia um, would be another one too. Yeah. Um, if, if you can get the Langahars when they, I mean, they come up every so often when they do an import and they're, they're, they're not expensive, they're really worth it. They, you know, they need a really well planted tank. They need to feel secure. They're very boiler like in everything. And it's another one. Just leave it alone and just observe it. Sure. Um, it, but oh, fabulous. If you watch them hunting lizards, you, you put some live lizards in there or something like that. It's incredible. They're hunting I mean, like a vine snake kind of. Yeah. Real, they, real precise. Yeah, it's amazing. They're, cool. they're like little archers with their nose and they're bang on it. Absolutely ferocious. I got to work with some Stenophis last oh, okay. year. Um, nice. You're familiar with those. That's a very yeah. strange, like Madagascar yeah. colubrid. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, those are pretty neat. We had Arcta... Arctifasciata? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember what, the, what species yeah. they were. I don't, I don't know what's happening with Madagascar. I don't know whether we're going to get any more exports from Madagascar or not. But um, there's, there's a lot of things there that I still need to I, I want some uh, Paraogira, the, the Mazobi, or Mazabe, depending on how you want to say it. Um, it's one of those alien. places we just keep losing stuff from. Yeah. Sad. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, we shall see. Hopefully we'll get some more imports so much stuff I want to keep at the minute. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. That's a, If I were to pick something that I would like to add that's not arboreal, um, I've always been a big fan of like all the Leah Heterodon stuff. So like, oh, okay. the, yeah, the Madagascars, the giant Madagascars would be really yeah. cool. But I like the blondes yeah. and the speckleds and all those. Yeah, I've, I, in the past, I've, I've kept all of those. And yeah, they are ferocious. Cool snakes. Very cool, oh, yeah. very interesting. Make a mess yeah. like a dry marcon does, but oh, they're yeah. a cool snake. Yeah, you, you know, you uh, you clean the viv so it's immaculate. Two minutes later, it looks like someone's been wallpapering in there. It's just marks yeah, right. All over it's, just <laughs> it's almost like you're keeping cobras. Yeah, right. Um, uh, I know a <laughs> I know a guy who got hit by a, a blonde hog, and that was the funkiest reaction ever. He swelled up to like his shoulder. And, oh, and he had weird blood clotting at the bite site. And oh. he got like this, this, um, uh, almost like razor burn all over his hands and his forearm and stuff. Like red bumps. Like red bumps. Yeah. And, uh, he basically said, Oh, it's so painful. And, oh, and I think he was just exaggerating all the pain, but sure. Uh, Cause the next day he was perfectly fine. Right. <laughs> very, very interesting seeing, first of all, seeing a blonde hog go ferocious like that and then at the same time a very very shocking reaction you know dude that's a you know what i didn't tell the the whole story earlier when you asked but on the note of like the boyga and the free handling and stuff um and that potency and just difference in keeper reactions and why you should probably know just how you're going to be able to handle a bite is we had um 
two different clutches, his little baby nigriceps, where one had chewed on me and then one from the next clutch had chewed on Allie. And we both, you know, we let them chew a little bit realistically just because we wanted to further understand like how potent a baby could be or, you know, basically what you would need to have happen for it to become dangerous. If someone's going to buy baby nigriceps for me, I'd like to have a little bit more sure. knowledge on that. So we, we took the chews and I had zero reaction whatsoever. I mean, there, you couldn't see where it bit me after I washed my hands an hour later. And then there was Allie who she took like the exact same bite. And an hour later she was at school and her hand was swelled like a balloon. And, wow. uh, and the next day, she actually had bruising all the way up her forearm into her bicep, um, like headed to her armpit. And it looked like, you know, bruise with razor burn and her whole arm was sore. She said she could feel it in her shoulder and her fingers stayed swollen with like, almost like what seemed like scar tissue for like two or three weeks. And she had like limited mobility in it. So yeah, it's it's weird. Like you can be really really weird. reactive or or not at all. Yeah, yeah. And she I doesn't mean, have I, any allergies. That's, well, that's like what, that one of the about. one of the reasons that I, I I try really hard not to take bites from rear fang stuff mm -hmm. is I don't want to start building up to the stage where it would give me an allergy if I get bitten by something more serious. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's that's very fair. I would hate for that to happen as well. Yeah. I mean, touch wood. The only thing that I that was painful that I got bitten with was, was the vine snake, and that was incredibly Ooh. painful. And they got and, some teeth know, on them, though. They have very yeah. interesting teeth on a vine snake. They have, but you, you know, it's something that's in every pet store for not much money, unfortunately, because they come in. And I didn't even consider that it would be a painful bite, but it was, yeah, really, really painful. And you're talking about Priscina, not Oxybellus, right? Yeah, Priscina. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I took a bite in the thumb when I was uh, assist feeding, and yeah, incredibly painful. There was the, the, an absolute jolt, like you'd been stung by a by a wasp or something like that. Interesting. And then, and then after that, you know, um, swelling of the thumb, um, which that only lasted for about I don't know four or five hours. But lack of feeling, I've still not got hundred percent feeling at the bite site. It's just like it's really weird. No wow. kidding. And the, yeah, and wow. the, you're talking to, you're talking a snake that's what three foot long and tiny little head and no bigger than your shoelace. Hundred percent, yeah. That's insane. So, yeah. Wow. So that's I, I'm just careful with everything now. Yeah, no, for good reason, and I and I don't want anyone who's listening. I don't want to come across like uh, like I try to let everything like bite me or anything at all for that matter. What I'm I guess saying is if I take a bite and it is a particular animal that I'm curious to further, you know, that bite with or want to do something with, then I may, as a keeper myself and putting my own safety, you know, at risk, um, I'm just trying to further understand something and I may like allow it to go a little further than it should, but by no means do I try to take bites. I try to do everything safely. Um, I try to use precautions. I try to avoid taking bites do try to treat them like they are dangerous animals because they can be dangerous animals. And the, the only thing that's going to hurt the existence of them in this hobby is people being silly with them and doing things to make them look like monsters that yeah. they're not. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Well put, man. Well put. That's very cool. 
Well, Matt, you have a fantastic YouTube channel. Do you want to give us uh, a little bit about that and then maybe tell us where, tell people where they can find you? Fantastic is a very generous word for my YouTube I like channel. It. I have fun with But it. I do appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you guys. And it is Arboreal Obscurities. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm a terrible speller. So look up how to spell Arboreal Obscurities if you don't know how to. If you spell it right, you'll find it. Um, it's really just a small YouTube channel where we just make Boyga content. We try to do uh, different videos on different species and try to actually pull the animal out each episode to give you a close up look, uh, try to teach you a little bit more about things you may not have known about or just husbandry skills and ways to better uh, the existence of these animals in captivity and in the hobby. And it's a, it's a cool little page. Um, it's very lighthearted. The energy's usually pretty mellow. I try to interact with everybody in the comments and respond to everybody. So if you have questions, um, that's a place that you can ask me essentially whatever you'd like to know in regards to Scrubs or Boyga. And it's just a, it's an overall good little time. I don't post weekly. And so apologies in advance if you go to that channel expecting like the weekly uploads or the daily uploads. It's kind of an every once in a while video channel, but it's really just to highlight and try to talk a little bit more about this obscure stuff that people have questions about. I love it, man. And uh, you got Instagram too, right? I do. The Instagram is arboreal.obscurities. So if you find me on Instagram, you can find me on YouTube or vice versa. And then there's uh, like a link in the Instagram to the YouTube and our little merch shop and other things that we do on the side. Awesome, man. Awesome. Nipper, is there anything else? No, just huge, huge thanks for uh, spending the time with us, letting us, you know, chat about your collection. Um, I cannot wait. As soon as we're off here, I'm going to go and get some eggs and feed <laughs> feed some of my boy with that because that's that sounds fascinating. Um, as usual, you can get me on Instagram at Nipper Reed, or um, you can get me at HerpTwitcher.com. If you want to chat about anything, I'd be more than happy to chat. People, if you're going to, oh my God, someone's going to get arrested. Is it you, Phil? It's definitely not me. <laughs> you heard that? That's a siren. That's outside my window. Someone's <laughs> going to get arrested. Um, please follow me on Instagram because I really want to get my numbers up. So uh, that would be very cool. Yeah. And uh, my name is Phil and I'm at knobtails.ig as well as the Herpetoculture Network and the Herpetoculture world uh you can also find us on a lot of the mpr the morelia python network stuff so go check out nipper myself and uh matt thanks again brother it was a hell of a fun time hey thank you guys for having me man i had a blast today all right awesome we will uh catch you guys next time thanks for listening cheers peace <laughs>